Hello and welcome to the Wind Thieved Hat. Now I'm a bit of a sucker for a portrait project and Richard Bevan's All of Us is one of the most beguiling I've seen for a very long time. Originally from Devon in the UK, Richard now lives in a small town called Ghent in upstate New York. On the town's bicentennial, Richard set out to photograph as many of the townspeople as he could, one by one. This captivating series of 276 medium format images is soon going to be a book. In our conversation, which was recorded right in the middle of lockdown, Richard talks about how he made the switch from the brutal world of advertising to life as a professional photographer. We discuss the paradox of the medium that photography depicts surface yet somehow manages to take you deeper. And Richard explains practically about how to photograph strangers and why some of the most interesting subjects can often be found very close to home. If you can, check out Richard's work, which is at richardbeven.com -E while you have a listen. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Richard. Hello, Richard. Welcome to the Wind Thieved Hat. It's very nice to be talking to you, albeit um, at some distance. You are um, you're in you're in New York State, I believe. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually um, about a hundred miles north of the city in uh, in farming country. So really, right at the heart of the Hudson Valley, the Hudson River Valley. Well, as anyone listening can determine you are not a native uh, to New York State. Uh, I, I believe you grew up in Devon, is that right? Yes, I, I was born and, and raised essentially in Devon, in Exeter. Tell me then how you end up in, uh, in, in Ghent, uh, in, in, in New York <laughs> State. What, 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 uh, what turn of events has, um, has, has brought you to be um, two hours outside New York? I don't think I could have ever written a plan to get to this point. Um, or I should say we couldn't, because obviously it's myself and, and my family. Yeah. Um, you know, it really has been something that I've, you know, I and we have evolved and just kind of rolled with it along the way. So basically from Exeter, I went to Bristol Polytechnic for a couple of years and worked in Bristol for a very short time and then moved to London, where um, I was probably for 12 years, I think, something of that order. Yeah. Um, and then we moved, we, we decided to move to, um, to New York. I, I was in the advertising business and an opportunity came up. I was with an international agency group and an opportunity came up to do a bit of a turnaround for an agency that they had acquired, um, which had a, a big operation in New York. And, uh, we decided that our, our kids at that time were two and four. And we right. thought, well, you know, if we were going to do it, that would be a good time to do it. And, and it was really very open-ended. So we decided to do that um, literally before 9-11. We, we had just actually told our families that we were moving yeah. and 9-11 happened. We decided to continue. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons is as big as we discussed it. And I think that um, we were sort of generation that, that the Northern Ireland troubles were going on. And, you know, there was definitely a kind of, idea that you had to sort of continue with life because otherwise you mm -hmm. were the loser and then the you know the you know others were were succeeding in, in creating this kind of fear so we decided to to continue and i i started 
going back and forth between London and, and New York uh, on the new job, sort of straddling two jobs, essentially, three weeks after 9-11. So, you know, planes were empty and it was really a unbelievable time, almost indescribable time um, in the city. The family moved over in January 2002. Um, we, we ended up living in the suburbs because uh, the schooling situation was just an easier one to navigate. That suburban situation for us outside of New York was actually kind of not something that we really kind of connected with. I mean, it was a very almost sterile. I, that's a bit unfair to say that, but I mean, the people, the people were very nice, but it was a very kind of clinical situation, you know, very yeah. sort of organized and clean, you know, and it was, there was nothing sort of for us there really. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's great for other people, but it, for us, it was a challenge. So we ended up looking for um, a place that we could get to at weekends and that sort of thing. And um, uh, that was in 2005, we found a place here and in this community in Ghent. Uh, and then in 2012, we decided to move full-time up here, and we bought uh, a very, very, very decrepit old farm. Hadn't been farmed for 40 years. And it took us two years to to rebuild the farm and to create uh, a business here. And, uh, you know, I was balancing that with my switch out of advertising and my move into full-time photography as well. And uh, And that's really what brings us to this point, you know, we've been on the farm now, well, we've been finished with the rebuild since uh, about five years ago. Um, but we worked on it for two years before that. So mm. here we are again, we find ourselves uh, connected with the place for 15 years now. And we'll talk some more about Ghent and the residents of Ghent who you have photographed quite extensively. But I, I'm interested in the transition you've made. So you, you went from being a senior level in the world of the brutal world of advertising and now you are a, a solo operative as a yeah. as a photographer yeah. how has that transition been is it something that you feel you did at the right time would you have done it sooner it must be a very different way of being and working i have to say for a lot of people who were around me in the advertising business in my world at that time, it was a very kind of alien concept, but at the same time was a concept that seemed to be very attractive to people. And I right. spent, you know, I received a lot of emails and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I, I made the decision to, to switch and do this on my own because I had a burning passion to, to do something else. And I think that's part of the answer is that, you know, um, uh, it, it's, I, I'm very lucky. I had the photography to go to. I had to move up here. I had the, the farm project. I had lots to really go into. And I've always, always believed that like it's way better to, to run into something than to run away to, from something. And I guess for a lot of creative people, there is this dilemma with one's working life. You know, do you, do you um, stick with security and an absence of risk, but perhaps a frustration of your creative soul, or do you do you fulfill, attempt to fulfil that um, that creative aspect of your being, but forgo security and um, and probably a certain level of financial comfort? It's um, it's 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 a, it's a tough call sometimes for people to make, isn't it? Well, it's a leap of faith, and I, I think honestly, most people can't make it. Um, yeah. I don't mean most people. I don't mean most people can't succeed if they do it. What I mean is most people can't make the leap. Um, 
you know, and that's that's the key thing. I mean, I was sort of slightly horrified by how many notes I had from people at the time saying, oh, I wish I could do this and, you know, this, that and the other. And, and I just I just looked at them and I thought, well, I, I know you and I know your situation and I don't really think you're in any different position than I am other than perhaps what you may have done is invested so much of your energy and life and being and spirit and ideas into one thing, you know, getting up that ladder yeah. that you yeah. have nothing, there is nothing to go to. Yeah. You know? there's, a, there's a line from a poet um, without wanting to sound too pretentious, but this is a, this is a podcast about creativity in the arts after all. But yeah. there's a line, I think it might be from Blake, mind forged manacles, you know, that yeah. we, 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 we create sometimes this, um, this sort of false sense of incarceration or frustration, don't we? When, when, when actually um, we are freer than yes. we might think. Yeah. And just thinking about this, this sort of change in path uh, that you undertook, I guess a lot of people right now in the, in the middle of the, um, this corona crisis are being forced um, to reconsider what they, what they do for a living. And some people may be thinking about, um, about finally listening to that, that 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 sort of passion within them. L- looking back on the on on the early your your, your the the early time of your uh, period of being a professional photographer, what, 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 is there anything that you would pass on? You know, looking back on that experience now, do you think there are things that you learned at the time that that um, could be helpful to know? Well, you have to. I mean, clearly, you have to believe in yourself. Um, I was lucky enough. You know, I've, it's not like I just started photographing at that point. You know, I've been photographing since you know I was ten. Yeah. Um, and, you know, off and on in terms of, you know, waves in terms of how much it was possible for me to do that and pursue my own, my own work. But I, I think clearly you have to have a, a, a great deal of self belief in, in yourself and your ability to do it, but also, you know, in, in the sort of work you're trying to pursue. And, you know, I was, I was given a pretty quick leg up because I got a, an opportunity to photograph something around here with the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, I, the feedback that I got was very positive and that led to another job. And I think, you know, once you, once you crack that door open and, you know, you, you're able to, um, establish yourself somewhere so that it's not, it's no longer your first job, then, you know, things take off. So it's really about finding ways, connecting with people. It's, it's all the classic stuff of like, um, you know, building a network, being open to ideas. Um, I don't, I don't, wouldn't necessarily say taking any job that comes along, but certainly taking jobs that allow you to demonstrate that you are, you can deliver. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to think that people, if, if people give me a job or a number of people I know in the photography business, that they're give, be given that job, not because, you know, um, you are superbly equipped photographically to make that story versus somebody else because of course there's a lot of people who can make very good photographs now um it's because they know that you're going to go out there and whatever you come across whatever obstacles barriers you you encounter you're going to find a way of getting over them or around them and delivering the job yeah and uh i think that's a very critical component of it you know the the sort of technical side is is you know, is not a kind of differentiator, really. I mean, your, mm. your, your kind of aesthetic, your, your style, your approach is, is obviously potentially a differentiator. But a lot of it is about, I'm giving you this job 
and you know um, you need to make sure you deliver and I don't really want to hear any excuses so I think it's about it's about conveying that to people you know whatever you're doing if you're switching it's just about conveying that and I didn't make a big deal about you know hey I just you know switch businesses and now I'm looking for work in photography I just went forth as a photographer because I felt that I always was one so you know it wasn't it wasn't um I didn't find it difficult actually I mean I obviously the you know you're worried about where the jobs are coming from and 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 by the way it's changed considerably in the time that I've been been doing it um you know obviously that world has changed considerably it was immediately after the 2016 election you know the a lot of the yeah. newspapers changed the way they approach things so photography was something that you you came to fairly early on. You said you were you were ten when you you first found the medium. I'm probably not unlike ninety nine percent of the other stories that you would hear from photographers about. You know, found a camera in the closet or whatever. In my case, um, I had a I had a fantastic. I, I was I was pretty sort of unremarkable at everything at school. I was I like decent right. at everything, but not remarkable yeah. at anything. Um, and we had a great art teacher. His name is Mister Cartwright. And he asked us one day to bring in large, like a large tin, you know, like you buy like a catering pack of marmalade or something, you know? Yeah. And, uh, in those days, a lot of schools had dark rooms and, um, we had a dark room set up. Um, and we, everybody made a pinhole camera and I remember I, wow, I, I wish great. I still had the photograph. You know, we made, I made a photograph of the goalposts in the, in the, on the football field right. and, uh, you know, I mean, then the story is is pretty well told by most people who have that experience. You know, you you do that. You take the paper out. You put it in the developer. You put it in the stop. Put it in the fix. All of that stuff. Wash it. Yeah. And 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 from that moment, you just I think you're either like on fire with it or you're not. And I was mm-hmm. on. You know, for me, it was totally captivating. You know, um, I just couldn't get enough of it. And were you were you taking pictures all the way through your your career in advertising then? I was. Um, I, I would definitely say it went in waves, you know, because, of right. course, um, you know, obviously I was taking pictures when the kids came along and then digital came along and it's funny and the sort of, you know, photo albums fall off a cliff then because nobody yeah. nobody kind of prints them out anymore. Um, but I was taking photographs on it and one, one of the reasons that I sort of realized that, you know, the, the, the fire was still really burning um, was, you know, I'd start, I'd be going on all these trips, uh, business trips, and I'd maybe, you know, add on half a day here or there as, as holiday and sort of stay in India a bit longer or whatever. And, and you know, I'd just, I just, I, I mean, to be quite frank about it, I'd be more passionate about going out and taking the photographs in my own time yeah. on that trip than, than anything that was going on in the business world, you know, and I kept my eye mm. on the ball from a business standpoint, but, you know, I, I was just way way more engaged with the other stuff and what is it about the medium of photography do you think obviously there was was that sort of epiphany as a child where you you suddenly this this magic happened before you but but what what what, what's made you you know what's made you a photographer rather than a a painter or or an artist well i mean the easy answer to that is i will really pretty crap at painting and, and drawing so <laughs> that would that would yeah. make that easy but i i understand that the actual idea of your question which is yeah you know i i think i mean i thought about this a lot and i don't in some ways i don't know that i can fully explain it and then maybe that's the power of it that you're always trying to figure it out i mean i think for me um 
you know, for various reasons, which I'm happy to go into if you want, uh, you know, I, I think that it's, it's for me a way of, it is a way of expression, of course. And mm -hmm. I, I, do, I do really believe that the best work is work that comes from a sort of quite a deep autobiographical place. Um, yeah. And I'm not suggesting necessarily you can look at every single photograph and kind of deduce that. But I think overall, in the themes that we pick to photograph and to some extent the way we choose to photograph them is clearly an expression of ourselves and, and what we're thinking. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that's, I think, how I choose to express myself. I mean, I can't, I can't, it's hard to describe, like, if you, if you go out and shoot a story or whether it's for yourself or, or for a newspaper or a magazine and you see that come to life in some way, shape or form, I mean, I find that personally as thrilling now as I did when I saw that pinhole camera photograph. Mm. And, and so it's a little bit kind of addictive like that as well. But I think, I think the core of the answer, and I'm sorry not to be able to answer it in kind of 100% clarity, but I think the core of it is about expression. And, you know, that's, that's how I like to express myself, you know. I mean, a picture... Yeah. A picture can make me want to laugh, make me want to cry, and, you know, or whatever. And I don't, you know, I don't really cry a lot at all so mm -hmm. um you know but i think they can elicit feelings that that mm -hmm. i don't kind of see or feel or experience anywhere else it's, it's 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 really interesting isn't it that um i think probably photography is the one medium where it can seem as if the the creator is is least present you know in in a in a a, a, a painting um can be in you know in, in whatever style and it's yeah. been created over time and there can be a big gap between um you know what we perceive with our eyes and what is depicted in the painting whereas you know, a, a photography has this apparent directness that it's it's light bouncing off the subject and the and the, the photographers just painted place their camera there so it's, it's quite interesting what you say about this being you know the medium in which you can express yourself. What, 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 where are you in your photographs? Do you think? Because you, you you photograph people quite a lot, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, other people. Where, where 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 are you? What what do what do these pictures say about you? And 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 what what is that expression? Well, I think I think that's and that's an outstanding question because um, again, I'm not sure I can entirely uh, describe that. But when I look at a lot of my pictures, I. I just I do see some similarities. I don't I don't go for I don't go for that similarity, but I see people who are um, somebody somebody wrote about some recent work that I did that I treated people with um, dignity and respect. Yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to think that that's how I conduct myself, and that's what you see in those pictures. And that, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure. I don't really think that you can, as some people might describe, photograph somebody's soul, you know? So, so like I've received a number of comments about some of the photographs I've posted on Instagram or my website, whatever people say, oh, I can, you know, you've really captured his soul. I mean, if that's what they're taking from that photograph, that's great. I'm not sure you can. So your, your question's a great one because, you know, you are photographing surfaces, basically. You're photographing exteriors. Mm. Um, so I just think the setup of it is, 
you know, when I think about my own personality and I think about how I see those pictures, I can see some similarities. So I'm not, mm. you know, I'm not sort of the one cracking jokes all the time and like the life and soul of the party. You know, I think that's a different type of picture. You know, mm. I'm a kind of steady person. You know, mm. I tend to kind of not kind of have erratic mood swings. I tend to kind of like change over time and change back. And I, I, again, I, I, I think that you see that in the pictures or at least I do, mm. particularly the portraits, as you say, it's easier to kind of think mm. about it with those. It's kind, of, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? It's really fascinating yeah. that yeah. we often, we judge the success of a portrait that we see yeah. on, a, on, 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 on feeling like it communicates some truth about the person depicted and yet we don't know the person who's depicted. It's right. it's really right. interesting, you know. It feels, but like... we may be, but we may be drawn to their photographs. So I have people who comment on my photographs regularly, whether it's from one project or another. So I would imagine that they're drawn to perhaps the way that I photograph, yeah. regardless of what the project is. So they feel perhaps that they're getting to know me as a photographer mm. um, in that sense. So I think mm. I think that's possible. It'd be fascinating to talk a bit more about your practice through um, through some of the projects that you have worked on. Um, yeah. But just before we do that, um, we we had a we had a brief email exchange, and um, and you shared with me a quote from um, a chap called Ronald Blythe. Yeah, who, I love um, that. Who, who wrote about fifty years ago in a book called Ackenfield, a portrait of an English village. Yeah. I think my view of human life is how brief and curious most people's lives are. Yet when you come to talk to them, you realise how strong they are and how unbelievably rich their lives are. Also, how subtle and various. Why do you love that quote? I, I love that quote. I love the book. Um, the story of how I came to find that was I'd started on the Ghent Project, which I guess we'll talk about. Um, yeah which was a, a, a series over a year of many people in my community. And somebody who I know here, he's actually an English chap, sent me, I just arrived in the, in the post one day, sent me the book, Ackenfield by, by Ronald Blythe. And I read it, I totally consumed it. And, and this quote appears maybe on page 10 in the introduction. I think it's actually in the introduction. Right. And I just, I just stopped, drew a big circle around it. And I just thought, wow, that, do you know what? That is like, that is it because I think yeah. that I think that what it, what that quote does, if you, if you break it down, you know, the idea of thinking, you think that your view of human life is how brief and curious most people's lives are. So mm. there's this idea that there's a sort of superficiality to the way you're thinking about something. Mm -hmm. and, but the, the kicker for me is like, yet when you come to talk to them, you realize, uh, and, and that act of, when you come to talk to them, you realize mm. and then how strong they are and how unbelievably rich their lives are. So the emphasis on the sense of unbelievability and the sense of how, you know, regardless of what you see on the surface, that how yeah. what's going on inside, you know, that quote mm. for me is so powerful. I actually am using it in the book that's coming out, um, you know, with permission, of course, um, yeah. because for me, you know, this, this quote is just like amazing to me. The work and the book mm. is fantastic. It's kind of a bit of an English classic. I think, um, you know, it portrays the lives of people in a very kind of, uh, rural environment in Suffolk, uh, in what is in 
many ways a fictional place, but actually was the place that he lived, I think. And, you know, one of the things about this whole book and idea that he had of writing it is that he, he said, he was quoted, because um, I've researched it a lot, he, he, he was quoted as saying, at the time, I didn't realize that really anything was happening. But as it turns out, these were the last days of the old traditional rural lifestyle. You know, right. such a critical, important piece of work. And we'll come back to this because that's a theme that is basically, um, I think, you know, something that can be attached to some of the work I've tried to do. But this quote for me, it really, really captures like, you know, how important it is to look below the surface. And of course, mm. you know, the, the, problem, the problem that we have, uh, I mean, it's as present in the US as it is in the UK, as it is in many, many countries right now, you know, this, you know, the kind of challenge of, you know, polarization and partisanship and division has been happening for a long time, really. You know, it's been building up for a long time. And I think that yeah. the thing that we found during the, the current crisis is, is how powerful communities are, you know, and how, yeah. how quite often the answer is in community. It's not in the kind of failed leadership of politicians, um, mm -hmm. it, it's in communities. And so you've got this thought. And so communities are incredibly powerful things. And of course, digital, uh, social media and all that stuff has really helped build communities in a virtual sense as well as in a physical sense. But on the other side of that coin, you know, that technology and, 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 and um, that kind of buildup of, of division has, incre has basically increased the opportunity for those communities to be isolated. And the more communities isolate, the less they talk to each other. And the less they talk to each other, the less they understand each other. Well, let's talk about, um, let's talk about all of us. So th this is a project um, that you undertook in Ghent, the, um, the, the, the town uh, where you live. And it's a, it's a series of portraits of, it's about 270 residents. 276. 276 and they are people can check this out on your website maybe while they're listening richardbevan.com um, and and they're all photographed individually um uh and there is um there is a sort of um there there, there are some consistencies i suppose of approach but there is a sort of wonderful um Wonderful. Well, in the quote, it says um, how subtle and how various the, the 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 differences are between between the people, and it's an extraordinary project. And one, um, it was the first time that I had sort of encountered your work. And I suppose the, the people are photographed in the 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 frames are composed. We'll talk about to what extent, but the people are still in the pictures. Some of them look down the lens, some don't. But they they invite you as a viewer to to spend time with them. So can you can you tell us how the, how how this project came about to begin with? Yeah, I mean, basically, it was the um, I thought for a while about um, pursuing uh, a more robust personal project. I've always had personal projects on the go. Um, yeah, but I'd I'd become very much more sort of engaged with the idea of photographing people in a, in a portrait series and. Uh, the the town um, was due to have its bicentennial. At the time I was thinking about it, it was 2017, and a bicentennial was coming up in 2018. Which, of course, in European history, a bicentennial is really not that dramatic, but um, in US terms, perhaps a bit more impressive. Um, 
And so I thought, well, maybe this would be something that I could embark upon. And around about the same time, somebody from the town board contacted me. They were redoing the website. I'm a photographer. Do I have any photographs? I didn't really because I don't wander around the town doing sort of, you know, architectural studies of the buildings and so on. But I, I shared with her that, you know, I had this idea and it, it seemed to spark the imagination. And, and, you know, from there, you know, I went forward with it with, with you know, good support from the community and some leaders in the community. Um, I, I, I thought maybe I'd get to 100 portraits perhaps and got to 276. And how did you decide who to photograph? Um, th- there was really very little science to it. I think, I think broadly speaking, um, I just said to myself, I want to get a good representation sort of geographically across the town area. Um, but it, I had no checklist of sort of, uh, mm. occupations or backgrounds or, uh, cultural kind of identity or any, anything like that. I just, I, I just set out to do it. But one thing I did say to myself was I, I really wanted this to be about largely about people that I'd never met before. And why, why did you say that? Because for me, the point of it was to really try and get under the skin of perhaps again, going back to that quote, you know, what that, the, the sentiment of that quote, which is, mm. you know, the people I know is kind of, while some are included, um, I think 82% I calculated of the people I photographed. I never met, I'd never met before, right. um, which is about 225 people. And, and, and I wanted to get under the skin of knowing understanding people and i am just gonna relate very quickly to a project that i did before that which was um a project photographing portraits of donald trump supporters around the time of the 2016 election who'd built their own signs right um i don't vote here it's not my politics uh i certainly wouldn't be voting in that direction but i went out i sought them out and i photographed them and i found a great deal of satisfaction and insight in photographing people who I had really very little relationship with uh, on a number of levels. And so I really wanted to continue the same thing, which was with the Ghent project, there's all these people out there and I want to better understand the community around me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the joy as well, isn't it, of photographing people. I I do a little bit of it myself and and a bit like you when when I travel. And um, I just find something endlessly reassuring about conversations with strangers which are very often positive and enlightening and surprising there's there's something quite quite joyful about it isn't there i i i I can't begin to tell you like i would come back from every experience photographing people particularly the ones i didn't know and i just say to mimi my god i had no idea you know, or I could have spent hours with that person or did you know, I mean, it, it was an unbelievable experience from that point of Mm. view, you know, just Mm. again, going back to that quote, you know, once you scrape the surface and I, 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 if I, if I said, you can't judge books by covers once, I must've said it a thousand times, (laughs) seriously. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what a a unique experience, you know, I mean, what a, what a opportunity to really fully appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I suppose as a, as a as a personal experience, it must have um, it must have had a, a, a profound impact on you. It did because I really, you know, I think that I think that you know, we again, we we you can't get away from the fact we're in 
extremely divided times and things look like they're getting worse rather than better. And I don't mean to be a pessimist about it. You know, I'm generally optimistic, but I mean, you know, things are very, very challenging right now. And to, to, to really embark on that study for a year gave me so much more faith in human nature. We have a sculpture park here in the town and it's, um, it has a big like gallery space and, and, they were kind enough to um, offer to show the photographs at the end of the process. And, uh, you know, what my insistence to myself was that I needed to show every single photograph. So we basically blacked out the windows. We put 276 photographs up and we had an opening night. And it was such a wonderful opening night because this sculpture park is generally seen right, wrong, or indifferent. It's generally seen as something for weekenders, somebody who, you know, people who appreciate, you know, modern sculptural art, you know, it was definitely for a certain sector, if you like. And, you know, a lot of the people who've been here a long time, the locals, if you will, um, really, it was something that wasn't for them. Yet we had 300 people turn up and everybody was talking to each other. Everybody was relating to each other through the photographs were a catalyst for people to talk to each other, to understand each other and to, Mm to to have memories together and to recollect uh different people who maybe passed away or you know it was uh, and we had food on and some the local veterans group bought some food and then somebody supplied some other and to me in the whole time I've been here it was a completely unique experience of people from so many different you know backgrounds um fragments of life coming together and uh I just all I could really say at the time was this this just gives me great hope you know and i didn't know that when i set out on it but the the end product was was amazingly uplifting in that sense and i suppose it's it's a hope isn't it of our current situation that one of the upsides may be that there's there's there's, uh, there has perhaps been a a recalibration um a little bit certainly um uh, in the uk you know we felt these profound divisions over brexit over the last few years but now we're in a situation where everyone has to a greater or, or lesser degree. Not everybody's been affected the same, but we have all been affected. Um, uh, that perhaps there is um, there is um, a bit more common humanity um, uh, and, a, and an arrest, perhaps, on on this sort of process of polarisation that's that's been happening. There, there, there's a brilliant um, one of my favourite um, uh, artists at the moment um, uh, is the spoken word writer and musician Kate Tempest. Who, has this incredible song people's faces uh, I, I don't know if you know her or, i'll or, check it or, out or, i'll check it out or this tune and, and she says this uh, uh, there's so much peace to be found in people's faces um, yep. and uh yeah it, it always brings a tit to my eye whenever whenever i listen to that um let, let's talk a little bit more practically um about your um about about, about this extraordinary project um that if people haven't seen, I'm fairly confident they will enjoy immersing themselves in. What what was the what was there? A, I guess over 260, um, 276 portraits. You, you got into a bit of a groove. What's what was the sort of typical process? Uh, well, I mean, from the beginning, I, I sort of have I had a, a running list of ideas. Um, yeah, you know, so I'd be walking somewhere or doing something, and I tap the idea onto my phone, onto my Google list or whatever it was. And, you know, I had this enormous list of ideas. Um, uh, and, and, and the kind of opportunities came from everywhere, you know, literally, I mean, I, I would be driving along and 
go and knock on somebody's door. Uh, I would email people. I would call people. I would ask for connections through other people. Yeah, it really was an exercise in, you know, uh, reconnaissance and, and just kind of going after things. And some things I felt very strongly about, I wanted to have included. Yeah. Um, and other things just were things that fell in my lap, so to speak. So, um, you know, that from that point of view, the process, uh, it, it was, there was a huge amount of work. Uh, and of course, you know, it was interesting because, you know, I guess some people would feel that they, um, you know, should be included. And then I had a view of, you know, kind of that, you know, I wanted to, to just create a balance in it that, you know, and, and ultimately, ultimately, I think it just found its own kind of cadence. Yeah. Um, and one thing I should say is that one of the biggest misconceptions about the work at the beginning that I was doing is that people thought that what I wanted was to, to photograph all the old timers. And one of the things right. I haven't said is that the, the, the kind of inspiration really for this project was that, you know, that they were, the town was sort of, and we have a great historian here, Greg Berninger. He's like a, like if you could wish, I never studied history, but like to me, a lot of history teachers are a bit kind of bland, perhaps that's a bit unfair yeah. maybe, but this guy is, this guy's like on fire with it. He's like the sort of guy you'd want to right. have, like, you know, teaching history. And he would be pulling out, he'd be receiving these, beautiful old black and white photographs mounted on card from, you know, somebody who's been here 80 years and it's in the back of their cupboard. And, you know, it's just this wonderful evocative photograph of like mm. the, the petrol station in the 1930s or what, you know, whatever it was uh, with a big crew, crew outside it. And, and, you, and, and it just occurred to me, obvious point, but it occurred to me that, you know, we take more photographs than we've ever taken and we print out nothing. Yeah. And what is going to be there in 50 years, 100 years for the future generations? There aren't going to be any prints mounted on card that people pull out of their cupboards from the bicentennial because nobody does that anymore. Yeah. They'll all be in crusty old iPhones, which will be you know seized up in somebody's basement or their loft or whatever. So that was why I wanted to do it. And I've, mm. I've since um, supplied the town with a complete set of prints all numbered and you know named, and uh, they have that in their archive now. Brilliant. And and when it came to uh, when it came to the, the the shoot, did you go with sort of preconceptions of how you wanted somebody to to pose or the location? Um, uh, can you can you tell me a bit about the the, the, the physical process of um, yeah. of, of of executing the images? Um, I would typically know. I would typically know the orientation of, of where, you know, in terms of the location where the sun was coming from or what, you know, all of that stuff, uh, yeah. because with Google maps now you can do that. So before I was due to meet with somebody, if it wasn't a spontaneous photograph, which some were, um, I would know kind of where things were. And, you know, I would daylight today, which is beautiful and sunny would actually be my worst nightmare to be honest. Um, you know, in which case I'd head for the shadows, but, um, you know, generally one of those lovely yeah. kind of slightly moody, cloudy days was wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would, um, I would show up and, you know, we'd chat and you, of course you have a limited amount of time. You know, the thing with a portrait is you have a very limited amount of time to make that connection with somebody that will allow them to essentially give you the photograph. You know, I mean, you can stand somebody under a tree and say, you know, smile and click the button and that's it. Um, mm. you know, but it, it, that's for me, that's not working. So you know, you have a, a short period of time to chat and connect and just maybe establish some, 
common ground and, you know, way before the camera comes out. And uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. You know, I think for me, I describe my process, uh, perhaps my story in terms of, you know, what we've been talking about is very much a sort of meandering one. You know, I don't feel that I've, in my life, I've like run a course that it has clear coordinates. You know, it's really been a question of meandering from here to there. And I feel the same way about, you know, how I photograph people and, and what I often find and what I often found in, in those situations is that people would say, oh, you know, I thought we would do it over here by the, you know, garage door because, right. you know, whatever reason. And and rather than rather than challenge that, I would run with that. Right. And, uh, you know, for those listening who, who don't know, I, I was using um, a film camera and uh, medium format film, which I could get 10 on a roll. And my kind of concept, broadly speaking, was to use one roll per person. So on this okay. particular camera, I'd be able to take 10 photographs. So I could quite easily burn one or two photographs, just allowing them to get the idea of where they thought they should be out of their system. Mm-hmm. And then I would know because when I arrived or just, you know, various other methods of kind of reconnaissance um, where I thought, you know, would make a good photograph, a good situation. Yeah. And we would find our way. We would meander towards it. And then I'd, I'd have a few frames in the bag in my camera left that I could make the photograph that I thought I wanted to make. But the critical thing for me is I didn't try and challenge their ideas of of where they should be. You know, I didn't ask anybody to dress in a particular way. I think there are very few examples where if, if somebody's carrying something or holding something, it's not because I asked them to do that. It's because they chose to be like that. So one of the best examples of that is there's an older lady, uh, Jean Niefler. And I can remember everybody's name, by the way. Um, so Jean, I, I showed up to Jean's farmhouse um, and she came out of the farmhouse holding a photograph of her late husband who'd passed away just a few months before. Right. And she said to me, uh, he was quite a well-known guy, you know, in this area, uh, Walt. And she said, you know, do you mind if I hold Walt's photograph? Mm-hmm. And I just said, no, I think that's wonderful. Let's just, let's do that. And, and, and you know, the thing about it is that that photograph is on about as simple a background as it gets. You know, there's grass and there's, the, there's a barn that you can yes. see in the background. Yeah. Yeah. But the photograph is made because she, she chose to do that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fight that. We just meandered mm-hmm. our way around trying to find the right background, mm-hmm. simple background for that. And, and so in pretty much all cases where people are carrying things or, or dressed in a certain way, it's because that's how they were. Well, that's how they chose to present themselves. You know, I mean, in most cases, yeah. they didn't know I was coming. Because um, I think it's a body of work. It, it feels, um, you know, for, for, for the, I, I've not seen the whole 276. I've, I've seen the ones that are on your website and on Instagram. But there, there is a sort of, um, I, I don't say this the wrong way, but they feel kind of effortless. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's an ease to them. Um, right. And I think, um, which which is one of their, their, you know, one of their great qualities. And I think um, people uh, people who are not used to being photographed in a more considered setup can have a kind of stiffness to them, can't they? Yeah. And, um, yeah. uh, I, I, and I, I, and I don't see that in these people. You know, it, it um, they, they they seem um, that they, they they seem kind of 
relaxed. Comfortable is maybe yeah. a better word rather than relaxed. But um, how, how did you achieve that, do you think? I think, honestly, I don't know there's a recipe for it. I mean, I think it, yeah. it's, it's, how, it's how you are as a photographer in so many, on so many different levels in the sense that, you know, how do you, how do you talk to people? How do you treat people? Um, you know, just the very idea that, you know, possibly before those photographs that you've seen were made, were made, you know, we did, we did the meandering thing where they were able to get comfortable with it. You know, I don't, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily down to me to wave any sort of magic wand and make them comfortable. But I think also I'm not, you know, I don't think, you know, my, the way I chat with people is not threatening. I think, you know, your body language as a photographer has to be right. You know, if you'll kind of show up to somewhere and you're sweating and panicking and like think, you know, that's not a good scene, you know? Um, yeah. And, and one of the, you know, people talk about film, it slows you down, et cetera, which of course, you know, it does. But I think, you know, one of the other things about it is it really simplifies it. Um, mm. You know, and I, I'll take your, com- your, your comment as a compliment in terms of the effortless and simplicity, only because I think, <laughs> You know, when you think yeah. about any sort of creative pursuit, making things look simple is actually often quite tricky. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, I think I think that the 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 use of film and the slowness of it, and and the kind of almost the kind of novelty of it, helps kind of break the ice, and and it, yeah. it removes a lot of the complexity, um, yeah, yeah. and people don't feel as threatened with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 totally. And the so so you, uh, roughly a role per person. And yeah, I, it was a I little presume... more. If on occasion it was a little more, but on average it was just over a role per person. So how, how did you find the edit then? Was it was it um, generally speaking? Did the image stand out, or was or, or, or did you find that part of the process tough? Um, I found it largely intuitive. Um, I, I think I'd look through the edit and, and what I normally find is what I normally find is that something jumps out at you mm-hmm. and I would, I would mark that one that jumps out at me and then I would go back maybe a bit in a few days and I'd see if it's still the case. So I'd kind of yeah. sense check that because you can, you can be easily seduced by an image that you remember, you know, was so difficult to make or for some reason there was some drama, which of course you as a viewer have no idea about, you don't care about that. Mm. Um, but me as a photographer, I'm carrying that with me and I'm like, Oh, I like that one because that was so difficult to make, but actually as a viewer, it makes no difference to you. So, you know, I think that kind of period of reflection is very important because you kind of, that, that, that feeling tends to kind of dissipate and you're left with the starkness of, is this a good portrait or not? Um, you know, so, uh, the edit was largely intuitive, I think. And I, most times I just stick stuck with what I had. I mean, everything was made in a camera pretty much. I mean, it was, hardly any cropping you know you bear in mind i'm coming from a point where i'm making photographs for newspapers and magazines where generally speaking i'm not allowed to do anything you know um yeah yeah. so you know i don't particularly want to spend hours in front of a computer doing that either yeah um there's a i mean you're talking about editing and that and that that um that feeling of um of not of not getting lost in how tricky the shot was there was a great exhibition um, of the work of Stanley Kubrick at the Design Museum in London uh, yep. last year. And there was a nice quote from him where, where he talks about how when he's shooting, he's going for coverage. You know, he wants to make sure he's got everything covered and all the angles. Yep. And then when it comes to the edit, he he doesn't care 
how long a shot took, how expensive it was. It's just about communication and simplicity and yep. stripping things back to the bone. And it's, it's a, for him, it was a deliberate sort of um, mindset shift, you know, a, a, a changing gear um, uh, after the shoot and in the edit. And quite a skill, I think, you know, I mean, quite yeah. a skill to be able to compartmentalize like that, you know, mm. which, of course, is the value of having other people look at your work because, you yeah. know, that, that allows you that compartmentalization, you know. Mm. And what, uh, I guess um, over 276 portraits, was, was there, um, I, I presume you wanted to have a sort of consistency, but was there a sort of stylistic evolution or, or you know, the more you did it, did you find your technique evolved or uh, was there any progression across the across the series i mean i don't i don't think there was really um you know i can tell you that i I really one of the reasons i'm I'm so you know i love the idea of simplicity and i think it is a hard thing to achieve but I, i i really wanted the 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 simplest setup and style in order that i could focus my energy and attention on relating to the person that I was photographing. Mm. Um, You know, one of the things that I loved, somebody mentioned after the event, and I didn't really set out with a conscious thought about, which was the, you know, in a classic story of a town and a community, you might actually throw in a sort of sense of place establishing shot to say, here's where you are. Um, And actually a couple of people have mentioned to me, they've looked at the work and they've said, actually, I, that would be completely unnecessary from the point of view that when they look at, when they look at the series from the environments that are around the people, they receive a sense of that place. Mm. You know, there are enough clues in there. So I I love that idea, although that wasn't an evolution as such. Mm. Um, It was just a sort of something that happened and was obvious after the event, you know, what a, And I've just, I mean, again, it sounds probably quite obvious, but to me, it hadn't really occurred. So, you know, I'm sort of, I I guess the point of telling you that is I didn't really consciously um, say, well, here's how I'm evolving this and here's how I'm changing it. You know, I was just kind of, I mean, it was 276 portraits in 10 months. So, you know, it wasn't a machine. It was, but it was something where I knew I had to focus on just making the photographs. Yeah. You know, there was no great periods of reflection and switching and changing. I was just out there. You know, I mean, for every photograph that you see, you know, bear in mind there's quite a lot of, you know, work that's gone into getting to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Undou- undoubtedly. Um, mm. as, as you say, that sort of effortlessness requires a lot of effort. Um, the, um, one of the, I suppose one of the, uh, another really interesting thing about the project is that it was a portrait of individual residents of Ghent at a very particular time, this small community um, on, the, uh, on the eastern side of America. Um, and yet it's had this sort of, uh, I know the book's not out yet, but the, it's had this sort of, um, uh, it's resonated, hasn't it? internationally you know people that it's had a big following on on online and through and through social media and there's something um there's something very reassuring about that isn't there that um that that this this very time and location specific project speaks to all of us somehow well i think and i i hope this doesn't sound arrogant i don't mean it to but i think i think in some way it it helps 
it's one of the, the pieces that's helping reveal a sense of kind of hope and optimism in human behavior and human humanity. Yeah. Um, you know, there is this kind of core of good that's in everybody, regardless of what the color of their politics is, whether they're religious, you know, all of these things that are terribly divisive. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that's partly the response that you don't, you know, you don't really see that in the photographs. And so mm. people are, are happy to be looking at something that doesn't, you know, send mm. them in one direction or another, so to speak. Because mm. we, we have been encouraged maybe over the last, um, 30 years i suppose to to um think of human beings as self-interested and and venal and um mm. and just out for themselves um and uh and and it's interesting to me over the you know recently i i started to see more and more people challenge this um this idea i i don't know whether you've heard of the um the, the, there's a dutch writer rutger bregman um, who, who who took on the sort of billionaires at Davos quite quite famously um, yeah. last year, and he, um, he he's written a book about how human nature, how we, we are actually um, it, it goodness is you know we are we are actually fundamentally good, and he he, um, he, he um, Lord of the Flies, the book about how a bunch of kids who were left on an island ended up destroying each other. Uh, is one of the things that that has become embedded in our culture. And he's found this story of some young boys from Tonga who ended up on an island abandoned for a few years. And and, and the opposite happened to what had been described in Lord of the Flies. They actually formed a community and got on and worked together to ensure their their survival. Um, Mm. So I I like to think that that the tide is turning a little bit. Perhaps yeah, well, I think received notion that we're all out for ourselves. I think you have to believe in in and be optimistic in that. I, I was it was interesting the other day. I was talking to, I mean, I've already been focused on the book uh, over these past few months, which given me, you know, I haven't been able to photograph so much, um, of course. Mm. Um, but I've been also talking to some of the people involved in a project I have been working on and will resume hopefully very soon. And you know, one of the I spoke to a lady the other day, and she just, you know, we were talking about basically a lot of what you just said and um you know it's been a sort of perfect shitstorm of of situations whether it's you know what we spoke about earlier the, the kind of technology allowing us to isolate that people don't understand yeah. each anymore nobody can talk to each other anymore there are no kind of middle ground politicians everything's one side or the other side all of that and she just said you know the the universe is talking back to us you know and, and, mm. and she didn't mean that in a religious sense i'm not personally a religious person not that that matters but um you know i I think and nor she but she was just saying you know maybe there's a balance and maybe you know we just have to cling on to things that will allow us to you know make these changes and these these indications and i hope i hope I i i you know I hope so much good comes from this. I hope we can all remember it. You know, I mean, climate change, of course, is is something that um, is is front and center, isn't it? And and how are we going to solve that? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so many things that we're challenged with, but at the same time, so much positivity. If we can just bring it out and evidence it, that people can realize we we have a lot to work with. Well, I I've. Enjoyed your work immensely, Richard. Since, Thank you. Uh, since, Thank since you. I came across it, and um, I, I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the book. Um, some of the some of the images um, uh, have stuck 
with me. I, I, as, as a final question, yeah. um, uh, it occurred to me when I was out on my morning run this, this, this morning, if the house was suddenly to burn down and you had to yeah. grab an image, yeah. is there one? Any image series? or an image of, from of that the series? Two, from that series, of the 276, yeah. it, 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 without thinking about it too hard, is, it, it, is there one that you would like to take with you? Without thinking about it too hard, just think about the yeah. 276, right. Uh, well, it'd be... Uh, um, I think that there is one, there was one of a young lady called Brianna who is uh, from the Mennonite community in Ghent. Right. And uh, it's, a, it's a photograph of uh, a young lady uh, in a very simple dress. The wind has slightly caught the corner of her dress. Uh, slightly wind thief, perhaps. Um, uh, but there's, you know, you look at it and there's such, <clears throat> there's such gentleness to the image and to her. And yet there's so much power. If you look at her arm and her hand, there's so much power in that. Right. And uh, I think that image is, is one of the ones that has really caught people's imagination, particularly mine. Um, you know, I was one of the, one of the sort of people talk about uh, inspirations and stuff. And there's a guy called uh, Mike Disfarmer who was active in the sort of early, I think the early 20th century. He, he, he actually was originally called Maya, but, which means farmer in German, I think, but didn't want to be a farmer and kind of was slightly curmudgeonly, so changed his name to Disfarmer, which is hilarious. Okay. And he was in Arkansas, Arkansas uh, and in a place called Heber Springs, and he set up a little studio, and he made portraits in his studio. And he was, you know, he was, he was pretty, apparently pretty miserable as an individual, but he made lovely kind of portraits. And somebody described them. I love this phrase. Somebody described some of his portraits as having piercing solemnity and touching simplicity. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And, and I, I kind of, you know, so when I think about some of my favorite images, I think about that type of power, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that photograph of Brianna, I think, is a very uh, important part of the series. You know, they're all important. They all carry equal weight. All to 276, although, of course, we of can't... Course. All those big yeah. pictures in the book. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, it, it's um, it's it's really lovely to um, to talk to you about your work, Richard. Um, it would be even even more lovely if we were sitting in your garden in Ghent. Um, yes, with it yeah. with, with a glass of lemonade. But um, as it is, we are um, uh, talking by the magic of technology, some three thousand miles or so away but I, I hope we get to meet at some point uh, well we future. shall we shall and uh, i'm very thank you very much for inviting me and it's been great to to chat with you and uh i wish uh, you and everybody listening um you know fast and, and safe and healthy passage through the current crisis you know hopefully we can um as we've been talking about come out of it with a lot of positivity and good changes absolutely brilliant thank you very much richard thank you richard So there we are. Just a reminder that Richard's work can be found at richardbevan.com. And if you visit his website, you'll find out the latest news on when the book of all of us is going to be released. If you're curious about any of the workshops or webinars I give on all aspects of the creative process, then you can visit my own website, which is richardholman.com. But for now, take care. See you next time. Goodbye.